Hey guys, Henry Grabar here, filling in for Mary Harris. Just wanted to give a heads up to the people listening with kids nearby. This episode contains a few swear words. If you haven't left the house in four weeks, your kids may have heard worse, but I wanted to warn you anyway. Henry, just so you know, also, I'm in a little bit of a dour mood because um, I was trying my hand at making an olive boule. This is my colleague, Jordan Weissman. And the recipe is just like, just add the Kalamata olives in and into the stand mixer with the dough and it'll mix. And obviously didn't because the Kalamata olives are very oily. And so it just like... Jordan covers business and economics for Slate. Before we all retreated to our closets, Jordan and I used to sit next to each other in New York, where we'd compare notes on a hobby we shared, baking. So it's it was a whole ordeal. Well, this is just more evidence that hand kneading can get the job done. <laughs> yeah, I think so. There's a reason Jordan and I are spending so much time swapping bread stories right now. And it's because for so many of us, there is so little else to do. We're either cooking, planning to cook, or posting about what we cooked. And by we, I mean America. There's not a lot of economic activity going on at the moment. I, I want to take you back to the last time you were on What Next. You were talking with Mary. I was in a state of despair. <laughs> it was it was four weeks ago. And if you thought you were despairing then, let me remind you of some of your indicators of despair. You said, you know things are bad because restaurant reservations are down 40%. <laughs> That was a month ago. Oh my God! Time not even, not <laughs> time, even a month. Time has ceased to have meaning. Uh... Today on the show, Jordan and I are going to talk about what Washington is trying to do: freeze the economy right where it was on March first. Maybe you're expecting your government check this week. Maybe you're a small business owner looking for a loan. Is help on the way? What's the holdup? I'm Henry Grabar, filling in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. About a month ago, Jordan Weissman was on What Next, talking to Mary Harris about an economy on the verge of a breakdown. Things were shutting down left and right, and layoffs were just beginning. At the time, Jordan was faintly hopeful that Congress would do something to catch Americans in financial freefall. And actually, what followed in the days after that conversation surpassed my expectations in some ways. The conversation very quickly went from just doing the absolute bare minimum to um, 
whether or not we should deliver checks to people, pay cash payments, to how we can improve the unemployment system, to how we can bail out small businesses that are not going to be able to pay their bills. Mm-hmm. And I had written this article that I, I called Bail Out Everyone. I think that was the title, just bail out everyone. You need to bail out the whole economy. And that really did become the attitude in Washington. And they really, I think, kind of set out to accomplish that goal of sort of as much as possible, freezing the economy in amber, right? Or just putting it on ice um, while we tried to keep everyone at home and fight this illness. The question is whether or not they've actually gone about it the right way and if those efforts are succeeding. Okay, let's let's take it step by step. We'll walk through the big portions of the CARES Act, which is the uh, corny acronym because there's always a corny acronym for every big piece of Washington legislation. The CARES Act is the big coronavirus relief bill, $2.3 trillion. One of the big components was the one you predicted, or perhaps you shaped with your agenda-setting column at Slate, which was that stimulus checks have been mailed out to every American, or at least every American, making less than a certain threshold in, in on their 2018 or 2019 tax returns. Everyone's getting a check. How's that going? You know, the checks haven't arrived yet, so we don't know for sure, but they're supposed to arrive. start arriving this week via direct deposit. That's probably going to be a, a B plus, A minus initiative. If I'm going to give letter grades to everything, they're probably going to get the money as promptly as possible to people who have filed their taxes and have in the last two years and have direct deposit and also people who get social security benefits, um, specifically social security, old age, disability benefits. The reason why I'm not saying this is uh, a plus effort is because it's still not clear if the many lower income workers who don't file their taxes are going to get this money in the end um, or how soon they will get it. Um, There's a large population of people who just do not file income taxes. You know, if you're a single worker who makes like $10,000 in a year below the standard deduction, you don't have to file. These are very vulnerable people, a lot of whom have probably been laid off. And it's not clear if our tax authorities have the information to track them down. And then on top of that, even if they do have an address, they're going to send these people probably a check if they don't have direct deposit. That could take weeks. And then once those lower income people do get a check, um, those lower income Americans, they're probably going to end up having to take it to like ace cash checking or something, right? You know, to actually cash it. (laughs) And that means like a part of that money is going to get taken off the top and given to an intermediary. And that sucks. I think it really just highlights more of a systemic issue, which is we don't really have great ways to send people money in this country. It sounds like something that should be so simple. And yet we don't know how to do it. Right. And I guess part of what you're saying is that even programs that should be accessible, that should help people, lots of people don't follow the news that closely and wouldn't know how to get this if they wanted to. And they maybe move to a different address. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, but people things are complicated. Yeah, lives are weird. Lives are complicated. People aren't always tuned into what's going on other than in like, a, oh, things are bad kind of way, you know? Mm-hmm. And and the issue is that the people who we don't have contact information for or bank account information for tend to be the ones who are a little bit tuned out. They're the ones who are really hard to reach. And for right. obvious reasons, they're dealing with poverty and <laughs> very difficult lives. So it's it's sort of self-fulfilling, right? Like the, the hard people to find are going to be harder to, are going to be hard to find. Um, 
and right and and will be the ones who probably need the money most in a lot very often yeah they're going to be people who who need help you know i will say that some of them might be a little bit more tuned in if they've just been laid off and they're they're going to find unemployment insurance and they're being told there are all these programs that could help okay well that well that brings me to another another portion of the stimulus bill which is the boost to unemployment insurance uh six hundred dollars a week which in some states uh I think more than doubles what you would have been able to receive. Now, this is another program where theoretically an enormous number of people should be taking advantage of this and receiving help from Washington at the time when they need it most. What's the evidence we've seen that this is working or not working? What's the grade you give for the unemployment insurance boost? So the concept I want to give like an A minus A to. They decided to add this unemployment bonus, essentially, um, that was a flat $600 for everyone. I'll get into why they did that in a second. It actually, It's actually a little bit of a, a frustrating story. But the outcome of this was that some people are, are going to get more than they were previously earning on their jobs through unemployment. Right. And this was the nightmare scenario of Republican senators like Tim Scott and Ben Sass, who said, we are incentivizing people not to work right now. Yeah. And that's that, you know, in the end, most people in Congress realized this was probably a good idea. And here's why they did it, though. And this is going to get to why I, I'm, I'm not going to give the unemployment insurance rollout an A or an A plus or anything. What a lot of people wanted to do initially was just replace people's salaries or wages at a 100% rate. Just give them what they were making before so they don't they're not poor, so they can still afford their their basics. They can still pay rent. The issue is that state unemployment systems are so technologically backward that that was impossible. There was no way to do that sort of a calculation quickly for that many people and roll it out within less than a few months. It was just, wow. it was the, the administrative constraints just made that a, a non-starter. And what states said they could do is, yeah, we could just tack on an extra few hundred bucks to everyone's check. That's possible. And so that was the policy. That's what they went with. And even Mitch McConnell, when there was this very short-lived Republican rebellion, said, this is the best way we can figure out to give money to people. Like, this is it. This is what we can do. It's, it's very interesting. There's there's two things that have come up, both with the, the checks and the unemployment insurance, which is that for all America's mighty federal government and, uh, you know, military spending and... Uh, big businesses and big ideas, our administrative state is in shambles. We, we just we can't figure out how to do anything. I, I've spent the last uh, three or so weeks referring to America as a jankocracy because um, all of our systems are just janky <laughs> as all hell. <laughs> it's just nothing works. The fact that we couldn't even do the unemployment policy that we really wanted because our systems were so bad was kind of, mm -hmm. it was kind of a preview of what was to come because the second people started applying, you had these, you had these more than 10 million, actually more than 16 million now unemployment claims in several weeks. The second that started happening, these state systems were starting getting totally overwhelmed. Websites started crashing, right. phone lines were jammed, nobody could get through, people were spending a week trying to apply. It's also that the United States loves to run programs on a local level, right? We love to run things through states. It, like the unemployment system is entirely run through states, it's state offices. And states are very much budget constrained. 
so they're not going to put fixing their you know unemployment insurance interface or their their backend systems for administering it anywhere near the top of their priority list like they're just not going to unless it's a disaster like this that forces them and they get some federal money to help them and so we're i think we're also seeing um some of the perils of both localism like governing localism but also just like this balkanized kind of administrative welfare state it's uh you're you're seeing it's all the weak points being stressed and and breaking right Let's move on to uh, another part of the stimulus program, which is the payments for uh, small businesses. Uh, they were structured as loans, forgivable loans that in many cases could be converted into grants if you kept your workers hired through June 30th. What is your grade that you give to this segment of the CARES Act? Okay, so we're, we're talking about the Paycheck Protection Program. Frankly, I want there to be restaurants left when this is all over, I want there to be bars and restaurants and, you know, little bookstores and fitness studios and the things that make living life in a city worthwhile to still be around. And if we don't save small businesses, that stuff is all just going to die in the course of this crisis. If those sorts of small independent operators all get wiped out, this economic recovery is going to take much, much longer than it otherwise will have to. And so this is what I always refer to as the most boring and most important part of the bill the small business rescue. Um, so this thing, the Paycheck Protection Program, if you've tuned into the news and you read sites like Slate or Vox or The Times, you've probably heard people talk about um, what they're doing in Denmark, where they're basically paying employers to keep their people on the payroll, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're essentially paying people's wages just to not lay them off. That's pretty much what this is. But it's in this weird fakakta American format. Um, where it's like excuse me what was the word you used fakakt, there fakakta it's like a yiddish um it just totally messed up it is a loan to small businesses that if they keep their people employed um it can be uh converted into a grant that they don't have to pay back and the loan is made by a private bank and then the private bank then basically now is selling that loan to the federal reserve in the form of a security or handing it over to the federal reserve um so we've come up with this rube goldberg device um that involves the federal reserve private banks small businesses and the small business administration to get people money it's, it's like it, it's like they heard you they heard you complaining about how programs were run through the states and they were like hmm what if we <laughs> let's get the private banks in here? Uh, let's just see. What if we ran this program through every other large institution? Yeah, just see what happens. Um, and there there are a lot of issues. One issue is just the way this program is designed. Who it will actually help? Will it really save small businesses? As it kind of evolved, it became more of a program just to make sure businesses kept paying their employees and there was less in it to help them keep paying expenses like rent or utilities, for instance. There's still money in there. They can use these loans to help pay their rent, but 75% of it is required to go to their payroll. Um, and the size of these loans slash grant things are based on the size of their payroll. So if you're a if you're a small business that doesn't have a lot of employees, it doesn't do a lot for you is one problem with it just conceptually. The other thing is just like actually getting the money out the door. Like, would this work? The jury's out on that one. We're two weeks in and two weeks is lightning speed by federal standards, but not a lot of money has gone out the door 
there have been all sorts of problems with getting it started, getting the banks mm-hmm. the information they need, getting the banks confident that they won't have legal liability, uh, the banks creating interfaces for their clients, clients knowing where to go. I talked to this guy for a story who runs a Dairy Queen in a mall in freaking you know Northern California, who on the day it started, he was just driving from bank to bank looking for somewhere that would give him a loan and couldn't couldn't find anyone like a desperate holder of a savings account on the eve of the great depression like (laughs) driving from bank to bank trying to get his money out it was it was he just went from one to the next all through because his bank wasn't going to make him a loan on it and it you know one after another he would just knock and they said sorry we're only taking our current customers and right you know it was that was it was it, it really bred this sense of desperation among small business people and i've been talking to a lot of them and that really is the overwhelming feeling right now. It's just desperation and disappointment because the programs that are supposed to keep them solvent, keep them liquid, and also make it so they don't lay off their workers and throw even more people on the unemployment rolls aren't working yet. You got this letter via a customer from a president of a small bank in uh, Texas. And I'll quote in my best Texas accent. He said, what I thought was a brilliant plan is turning into a quagmire of quicksand. Yeah, the people who run small banks are feeling as much despair about this program as some of the small business owners. I'm giving it like a C plus right now. That's that's where I'm at. Like that's and that's like the plus is there for like for hope. So a C plus because hope springs eternal. The other big part of the the plan obviously was bailouts for for big companies, airlines, Boeing. Etc. One thing that has changed in the interminable four weeks since you were last on this show is that when you were last on this show, stocks were in a seemingly never-ending slide. The stock market just had its best week since 1974. So at least one thing seems to be clear, which is that people are feeling optimistic about America's biggest companies, right? Yeah, now. I mean... How is this possible? 20 million people are unemployed. The entire country is shut down. We have no sense of how we're going to find a way out of the coronavirus pandemic as a public health issue. And people are feeling optimistic about the stock market. I I would say optimistic is maybe not the exact right term. If you look at, yes, the stock market had its best week since 1974, but that was after a, a historic plunge. It has not even come close to gaining back everything that it lost. It's you know if, if it's like a little hook at the bottom. I think the better question is why has it stopped plunging? And yeah, the, the bottom line is Congress acted and collaborated with the Fed to set up a bailout fund for large businesses. And there are still aspects of that that are being worked out. How are the airlines going to be handled, et cetera? But the 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 fact is that there is a safety net there, and it. If it takes a little extra time to get it up and and get this facility functioning, it's not a it's not the end of the world for a Fortune 500 company. Jay Powell is going to ride in on his white horse. Um, and Jay Powell being the chairman of the Fed, Federal Reserve, um, that he is going to make the money printer go burr, as the saying now goes, and that these companies are still going to be around. So there's already talk about a fourth coronavirus bill in Washington. What do you think is next for uh, a total crisis meltdown? Is it 
widespread small business failure? Is it the U.S. Postal Service? Is it state and local bankruptcies, pension plans? Uh, what should we panic about next? And what should we wait for Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell to look at next? I mean, the Postal Service is just... I, I almost don't want to start talking about it because it makes my it makes my head hurt so badly. It makes my brain melt. Jordan, like, remind me if you can, in a few words, why the Postal Service is in such a troubled state. So there are two questions here. There's why has the Postal Service been in trouble in the past and why is it in trouble now? In the past, it's been in trouble largely because Congress foisted these completely unrealistic uh, financial expectations on it that it would pre-fund its pension funds. And that created billions of losses on paper. It was kind of left the Postal Service really ravaged in a lot of ways. Why is it in trouble now? It's in trouble for the same reason everybody is. You know, you know, revenues are falling for every business across the board, and the and the postal service is always sort of on a knife's edge. So it needs a bailout. Unfortunately, the administration does not want to give it one. It has back channeled to the Democrats that giving a bailout to the postal service would be a poison pill in any kind of rescue legislation, economic relief right. legislation. And as far as anybody can tell, this seems to be because Donald Trump wants it to raise rates on Amazon because he's angry at Jeff Bezos. That's that's the closest anyone can figure out what the source of this. The only other possibility is that maybe someone within the administration just has like some pro-privatization agenda going where they just want to like bleed the postal service dry and move it off move its business off to, you know, UPS or whatever. But the the going theory right now is that Donald Trump wants to use this moment to exact some revenge on, you know, the fucking Bezos. <laughs> That's that sounds like that sounds like the Trump I know. I am skeptical of the privatization scheme or conspiracy theory because if only because I think Trump's voters are actually the ones that are the biggest recipients of postal service subsidy, which is to say they live in far flung rural places where no private mail carrier in their right mind is going to fun delivery yeah yeah i mean i mean it, old people and farmers are, are the ones who need the postal service most and that's like who votes for trump right um but right now it's become this point of contention right and the other one the other big one is the states and cities which we we've we've already seen in new york which has been the hardest oh yeah that's it it's you part know, of the world it's weird i i gotta tell you as a reporter i have not been paying as much attention to what's happening with states and cities but mostly because the answer to me seems very simple which is just like well they gave them about 150 billion dollars and they need to give them about 300 billion to 400 billion more like that's like that's sort of the answer is like if you don't give states and cities money they are going to have to cut their budgets and you're going to see masses of layoffs from city governments, from state governments, and that's going to result in a longer, more painful recovery, the same way we saw as in 2008. Jordan, always a pleasure to talk to you. It was a little dark, but okay, yeah, it was a pleasure. <laughs> it, was, it was a dark pleasure. A dark pleasure. Like a, like a, like a Kalamata olive loaf. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Jordan Weissman is Slate's senior business and economics correspondent and Slate's junior bread baker. And that's the show. I'd love to hear what you think of the episode. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Henry Grabar. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Daniel Hewitt, and Mara Silvers. Our federal money printer is Allison Benedict. Thanks for listening. Mary Harris will be back tomorrow.
I can't help but imagine with pleasure the way that Mary will be able to use snippets of this when she talks to you four weeks from now and say, Jordan, look how naive you were. You were still baking with olives. We haven't had olives in this country in 10 days. <laughs> so we have no olives. We have a lot of guns. Everyone has a gun now. <laughs> um, everyone has a gun yeah. and everyone has a podcast. That's it. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.